way to kick off the first Sunday in December. Uh, it's great to have you here with us. Let's take a few moments to stand up, step out, turn around, shake a hand. Welcome those around you to our service this morning. Well, we are so glad that you're here at Word of Life Chapel this morning. We want to welcome you. If it's your first time here at Word of Life Chapel, we want to extend to you just a, a great welcome. We're so glad you're here. We have visitor cards inside of each pew. If you could fill that out and hand it to either Pastor Bob or myself as you head out, we have something uh, we'd like to give you on the way out. A couple of announcements to make this morning. Uh, our Christmas service is on Sunday, December 23rd at 9.30. 9.30, not 10 o'clock, 9.30. And the, we'll begin with the children's program that morning, and there will not be any Sunday school. We're also going to be having a Christmas Eve service Monday, December 24th at 7 p.m. It's also going to include the, the lighting of candles. The choir will practice after the service today as they continue to, to get ready for the Christmas season and rehearse for that. We do ask, the, the choir starts rehearsing about 15 minutes after the service is over. And if you're still in the sanctuary visiting after about 15 minutes, if you wouldn't mind um, going and visiting in the fellowship hall just so the choir can begin. Unfortunately, when there's a lot of conversation, they're not able to really get into that singing that they need to to be able to practice, which is something that we, we are so blessed by every week that we get to listen to. And, we greatly appreciate that. Would you pray with me this morning? As we act, before that, I want to mention we, we received $1,400 for the Hurricane Recovery Fund. Praise the Lord for that. I just wanted to mention that and, and thank the Lord and also thank the Lord for what happened last night. What a great time of being together, of fellowshipping. Thank you to all who are involved, um, for those behind the scenes, for those that were right up in front. Uh, we are so thankful. It was just a great, great 
night to be together, to fellowship together, and, and uh, really celebrate what Christmas is all about, right, in the coming of, of our Savior. Would you pray with me? God, we're so thankful that we can be here. We're thankful for your love for us. Lord, we're thankful for Christmas. It's always such an exciting time when Christmas comes around the corner. We, it's something we look forward to. We're, we're always ready to turn the Christmas music on. We've been waiting, and, and now it's time. And, and Lord, we're, we're excited to celebrate Jesus' birthday. Lord, when our Savior comes to this earth in a humble way, Lord, we ask that you would continue to move in this service this morning. May you be honored and glorified in everything that is said and done. In Jesus' name, amen. God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. Let's sing that again. God rest you, merry gentlemen. God rest you, merry gentlemen, and nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy.
and let's come before our Father's throne. Father, we thank you that you have opened the curtains of heaven and you have come down. You have chosen to come into our world, a world in which you made. For, Father, you are the great creator. But you have chosen to leave your throne and come into a dark and sick and sin-filled world. For, Father, when you looked down upon us, you saw evil hearts. You saw wicked minds. And, Father, you saw that we needed redemption. We needed to be changed. Lord, we needed something new. And so you, Lord, in your grace and in your mercy, you came down. God, you became flesh and you dwelt among us. The word became flesh 
and came into our world so that we might be saved from our sins. His name shall be called Jesus because his mission will be to bring redemption, to save people from their evil and wickedness and sins. Father, for the incarnation, we thank you this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you loved us with a love beyond our comprehension, a love that would bring to us salvation, free. Father, my prayer this morning is, is that if there's someone here who has never come to a saving knowledge of yourself, that this morning might be that time when they're changed from darkness to light. Father, we've all sinned and fallen short of your glory. But God, you came down to bring forgiveness in the person of Jesus. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. So, Father, in the gospel, there is hope in a hopeless world. In the gospel, there is light in a dark, dark world. Father, the gospel changes us. It has changed us. It has given us new hope, new life, a new heart. And so, Lord, work this morning during this time together. Father, we think of those who, whose lives are filled with sickness or illness, some type of disease. Father, we know that not everyone finds joy at Christmas time. Maybe, Lord, there's been a loss of a loved one. Lord, there's sadness as we approach Christmas Day. Or there's something in someone's life who is just not going to go away, even though this is December, this is Christmas. So we pray, Lord, that your peace that the angels sung of, that that peace might rest upon those who are going through a difficult time right now. Father, December doesn't change all of those things. So we pray, Lord, as you have come down to give salvation to the world, we know, Lord, that you can heal broken hearts. We know, Lord, you can change the attitudes. We know, Lord, you're capable of doing above and beyond what we could ask or think. So for those, Lord, who may be hurting right now, those who are troubled, those who, Lord, are filled with anxiety, may your peace Fill that mind and fill that heart. We do thank you for allowing us to come together this morning. Lord, this is a time in which it's so good to be surrounded by those who have faith in you. Father, those who have the assurance of being in your family. Lord, this is your body. This is your family. And be able to come together once again, we thank you for allowing us to do just that. So we pray that you might bless our time, bless the service. May your word, Lord, have free course in our lives and our hearts and be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Hymn number 100. Leonard, come and lead us in that hymn, if you would, please. I'll ask you to remain seated during the... We'll sing all five stanzas. Someone in my hymn book circled one, three, and five, but we'll sing all five. And then on the, and then on the last stanza, I ask you to stand with me, and those in junior church can be dismissed. Hymn number one, uh, 100. <coughs> 
Well, this morning we want to kick off a seasonal sermon series focusing on the very first Christmas carols. The tradition of singing at Christmas time is as old as Christmas itself. We're going to be looking for the next four weeks in Luke chapter 1 and 2. In those two chapters, there are four Christmas carols. And we're going to look at each of those this morning, looking at the Song of Zechariah. If you have a bulletin, and I suppose you all do, I'm going to ask that you take out the insert that at the top you see the, the words Songs of Christmas. And let me just show you where we're going to go uh, through this month of December. December the 2nd today, we're going to look at Zechariah's song in Luke chapter 1. Did you know that these songs are often referred to by the Latin word for the first word in each of the songs? For example, uh, Zechariah's song starts with the word praise. And the Latin word is benedictus. And often you might hear that word. It refers to Zechariah's song. Next week on December the 9th, Mary's song. This is the Virgin Mary. Her song begins with the word to glorify. And this song is often referred to as the Magnificat. And that's the Latin word that means glorify. On December the 16th, Simeon's song. Simeon was an old man, and he was told by God that he would see Messiah before he died. And so when he begins his song, he uses these words, now dismiss, or nuc dimittis, the Latin word. It means now dismiss. In other words, I've now seen Messiah as he holds him in his arms, and he says, now, Lord, I'm ready to be dismissed into heaven. And then on Christmas Day, well, actually on the day we celebrate Christmas, on the Sunday uh, of Christmas, um, the angel song. And the angel sings, glory to God in the highest. Then the Latin words are, in excelsis Deo. So this is where we're going to go. Four songs, all during that first Christmas. Before we look at Zechariah's song, let me give you some background information because it's important for us to understand why he would write this song. Imagine for a moment a world with no Bibles. Imagine a world with no preaching. <laughs> I'm no, I want to see your reaction to that one. Imagine a world where there is no message from God. Heaven is completely silent. Well, did you know that there were 400 years between the Old and New Testament in which that existed? When God was completely silent, God decided to stop speaking to the people. He did not speak to the prophets and that they could come to the people with a message. There were no visions and dreams. God was silent for 400 years. And that's why the period between the Old and the New Testament are often called the silent years. God decided not to speak. Some people, when we come to the New Testament, the remnant, they would hold on to hope. But many people through that time, they gave up on God. They forgot about God. They, they forgot about his promises. The Jews were living under Roman rule, Roman authority. King Herod was sitting at this time on the throne in Jerusalem. The Israelites, they were scared. They were living under this unjust rule of the Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus. 
They were subject to violence because of their beliefs. And under Herod, idolatry, immorality, it was widespread and rampant. It was in this sad world that Zechariah lived. It was in this dark and hopeless and evil world that Zechariah wrote this song. It was in this world that Zechariah came. Now, Zechariah, he was a good man. He was one of the remnants of remnants of God. He was a priest. And one day he was chosen by Lot to go into the temple. And there he went into the temple, the holy place, just outside the Holy of Holies. And he was working on the lampstand and the altar and different pieces of furniture. And all of a sudden, Gabriel, the angel of God, not a lower form of an angel, but Gabriel was one of the top angels in God's order of things. Gabriel shows up in that temple and he speaks to Zechariah and he says to Zechariah, Zechariah, you will have a son and you will call him John. Zechariah looks at this angel. Now remember, God hasn't spoken in four hundred years and here is this priest who is having a conversation with the angel of God who is now speaking to him and says you now are going to have a son what's also unusual about this is because he's up in years his wife is up in years and Elizabeth his wife is barren they've been trying for years and years and years to have a son without any success. And so here is Zechariah inside this temple, just going about his business. And here the angel of God shows up and gives him the message that he will have a son and his name will be John. Well, I suppose our reaction would be that of Zacharias. How can this happen? <laughs> how, how is this going to happen? And, and the angel looks at Zechariah because of his unbelief, which I, I think on a human scale is kind of understandable. How can I have a child in my old age? How can I be standing before the very angel of God? And the angel says to Zechariah, Zechariah, because you have not believed my word, God's word, you will not speak for the nine months of Elizabeth's pregnancy. You will not speak until your son is born. And so we fast forward in Luke chapter 1. And we come now to John's birth. This little boy is born. Just as God said it would be. And John has come into the world. And eight days later, there's always this great ceremony of the Jews. The circumcision ceremony. We don't make too much of a big deal about it today. You know, it's happened sometime in the hospital. And no one really knows or cares exactly of that date. But for the Israelites, circumcision was a sign of the covenant of Israel. And so after eight days after the birth, there was a ceremony. And during the ceremony, Elizabeth says to the, those who have gathered, his name will be called John. Well, those that are present, they're saying to themselves, John. Why John, Elizabeth? There's, there's no one in your family? You have no relative named John? You see, the custom was that you name a child or a son after his father. He should have really been Zach Jr. But Elizabeth said, no, no, it's going to be John. And then they look to Zechariah, who hasn't spoken in nine months and eight days. 
and he says, give me my iPad. <laughs> well, the text actually says, give me my tablet. <laughs> and he takes out a pen, and he writes on that tablet, his name is John. And at that moment, God opens his mouth, and he bursts forth with this prophetic song of praise. Turn, if you haven't already, to Luke chapter 1. And I want to read this song of Zechariah, understanding now why he writes. His mouth has now been opened after nine long months. And this is what he says in Luke chapter 1 and verse 67. His father, Zechariah, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied, praise. See, there's the first word, the benedictus. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remind his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet, a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Into this dark world, we have here a message of hope. And it's interesting that in this song, this prophetic song, only two verses make reference to his son John. The rest of this song has to do with another son, and that is the son of the living God. At the forefront of Zechariah's mind was Jesus. This Messiah who would come to visit his people. The long waited for and expected Messiah. O come, O come, Emmanuel. That was the great cry of Israel. Come, Messiah. Come, Emmanuel. And this song of Zacharias reaches down through the centuries to remind us, to remind us, that God has come, and there is hope. And the hope of the world is found in the reality that God has come to us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's break this song down. Let's just see what Zechariah is saying. In the beginning, he speaks of God's purpose for Jesus. Why did Jesus come? Why did God come in flesh? Why did he come into our world? The word in verse 68, the word come, do you see it? It says, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come. We're going to look at that also over in verse 78. It says, by which the rising sun will come to us. That word come we often have in our songs today. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Come, thou long expected Jesus. 
The word come in the King James Version is the word visited, to visit. And I think the word visit gives us a little bit more of the actual meaning of what this word come means. The word come means this. It means to visit with the purpose of aiding those who have a need. To visit or to come means to come with the purpose of aiding those who have a need. Over in Luke chapter 7, Luke uses this same word in the raising of the widow's son. In Luke chapter 7, it says this in verse 13, Jesus came to the widow whose son had just died. And the Bible says in verse 13 of of Luke chapter 7, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. Here is Jesus who comes to a widow whose son has just passed away. And his heart went out to her. And he says in verse 14, young man, I say to you, get up. Get up. And this dead man, he sat up and he began to talk. And then we read in verse 16, they were all filled with awe and they praised God. A great prophet, they said, had appeared to us. They said, God has come, there's our word come, or visited to help his people. Why did Jesus come? He came to help. God looked down upon mankind and saw that mankind had a great need. He saw people with a wicked, evil heart that needed to be changed. And so God looks down upon mankind and sends Jesus to offer a remedy. That's all found in that word come, to visit, to aid, to help. Israel longed for Messiah. Israel had this deep longing that Messiah would come on the scene. They waited and they waited and they waited. And finally now he comes. I believe back in Isaiah chapter 64, it it captures the longing that they had. It says, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. The heavens are often viewed as, as a curtain. And if we could just open that curtain, then then God would come. Oh, that we could just rend heaven so that God might come into our world. This longing of Israel, the Jewish people, for Messiah. They had a passionate desire. It was hard for us, I think, on this side of Christmas to understand what it must have been like on that side of Christmas. You know, before Messiah... Before Jesus, the longing that they had for Messiah to come. And remember, there's been four long centuries after Malachi's prophecy in the Old Testament until we come to Luke now in the New. And Zechariah holds this little eight-day-old little boy in his arms And he knew, he knew that help was on its way. He knew Messiah was coming. He knew that heavens were going to open. And that his son, John, was going to be the one to pave the way for Messiah to come. The one who will say of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So what is God's purpose for Jesus? To help. But in which way? Was he to help in raising the dead, healing the lame, giving sight to the blind? It was all part of it. But the ultimate mission of Jesus, it says in verse 68, he came to his people to redeem them. Jesus came to redeem mankind. The word redeem means to make a ransom for his people. It speaks of the price that was paid to deliver a captive that was taken off in war. 
Someone has been kidnapped. And they demand a ransom price in order to free that child back to their family. That's what the word ransom means. To pay a price to bring about the freedom and the deliverance. But we're not speaking here of the freedom that many Israelites were longing for. They were looking for some kind of a deliverance from the oppression of the Roman authorities. They were looking for something that could free them of their bondage under Caesar Augustus's rule. But that's not the redemption Jesus came to bring. He came to bring salvation, to free mankind from the curse of sin and death. And so we read in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 19 of the blood of Jesus that was able to bring about that redemption. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you through your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ. But with the precious blood of Christ. And so it's the blood of Jesus that brings about the redemption that we're talking about. But we move on down through this song, and we also see God's promise. That is his promise that Jesus would come. You know, when, Jesus, when God looked down upon mankind and saw our need of redemption, Jesus was not an afterthought. <laughs> it was not as though God then said, oh, I, I have to do something to fix this world. And so I, I think what I'll do is I'll send Jesus to shed his blood on a cross. The fact that Messiah would come was told long ago. And that's what we have in these next few verses. Fulfilled prophecy, according to verse 70, was promised by the prophets, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. We have the prophets of long ago who, who predicted, who prophesied that Messiah would come. Fulfilled prophecy was cherished by the fathers in verse 72 to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. Fulfilled prophecy was also guaranteed by the oath that was given to Abraham in verse 73. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham. The point of this is, is that God did what he said he would do. God said in the Old Testament hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years ago that Messiah would come. And he did come. Is that surprising? <laughs> is it surprising that God does what he says he would do? It shouldn't be surprising. God doesn't lie. When God says yay, he means yay. Unfortunately, as Time went by, all of these years go by, the people would lose hope. They didn't see the fulfillment of God's promise of Messiah. And so they lost hope. They forgot God's promises. Let me say to you this morning, sometimes maybe we don't see God's promises immediately fulfilled. Sometimes days and months and years will lapse. But when God makes a promise, it will be fulfilled. When God makes a promise, it will come to pass. So I say to you, don't give up on God's promises. You know, I know what it's like, and you know what it's like. You know, you come to a verse in the Bible and there's God's promise and you claim that promise. And nothing happens. And nothing happens. But don't lose heart. God, he is faithful. Don't lose hope in the promises that God has made because they will be fulfilled. I want for us to read this morning, some of those promises 
I didn't list a reference. Um, I didn't list a book. I just listed a few of the promises of God. And I want us to read these together. And I'm going to move this a little bit so that I can see this screen just a little bit better. But I want us to read these together, understanding that these are promises of God. And these are promises that God, he will fulfill. So read with me, would you please? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest in your souls. And my God will meet all your needs according to his riches and his glory in Christ Jesus. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins. And we know that in all things, God works for good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. These are the promises of God. Oh, we're not finished. Peace I leave you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now we're done. These are the promises of God. And I know some of you have claimed these already. And time seems to pass. And we say to ourselves, is God really going to meet my need? Is God really going to give me that peace that he promises? Is God, does everything really work together for good? Christmas reminds us that when God makes a promise, God keeps that promise. And so as the songwriter, songwriter states, we stand on the promises of God standing on the promises of God. Christmas reminds us that God is faithful. He's always faithful to his promises. And then we come to the verses that speak about John. <laughs> Up to this point, Zechariah, he's all about Jesus. It's all about the Messiah. What is God's purpose for John? John's mission was to pave the way for Jesus. John's task was to prepare the people for Messiah when he comes. You see, Israel wasn't ready to receive the Christ who would come on the scene. They were looking for a warrior on a great white horse to deliver them from Roman oppression. They were looking for a worldly ruler who might free them from political oppression and their yoke of bondage. They weren't expecting a baby born in a manger. They weren't expecting Messiah to ride a donkey humbly into Jerusalem. They were looking for someone different. And so John's task was to change the attitudes of the people, to make the nation of Israel ready for the coming of Messiah. And so we read in verses 76 and 77 these words as Zechariah looks down at this little baby boy. And you, my child, you will be called a prophet of the Most High. 
And you will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. It's only these two verses that are dedicated to John. The rest are dedicated to the Son of God. John was to be a prophet. John was to be a preparer. John was to be a preacher. This is, of course, none other than John the Baptist. John the Baptist. And he has been given the mission to introduce to the world Jesus. He is to share with the world that this Lamb of God has come to save people from their sins. Zechariah calls Jesus over in verse 78, the rising sun that is to come. The rising sun, the one who in verse 79 is going to bring light into a dark world. The very one who will bring hope into a lost world. And Zechariah very quickly, after he speaks about his son in these two verses, he moves very quickly once again to God's son, the Messiah, Jesus himself. Zechariah, he understood the position of John. That John was never to be number one. Jesus was always to be number one. John always took that subordinate position. He was always second fiddle. And John understood that. When John came on the scene, John said of himself, I must decrease so that Jesus can increase. Those are John's very words. But isn't God's purpose for John, isn't that our purpose as well? Isn't our purpose to point people to Jesus, to pave the way so that people might come to a saving knowledge of the one who died on the old rugged cross? Like John, we've been given a task. We've been given a mission to proclaim the salvation that Jesus brings to mankind. Are we not ambassadors for God? Are we not witnesses of His to share with the world what, what God has done for us? You see, the world in which Zechariah came the world in which John came was a dark world. It was a sin-filled world. It was a sad world. Much like the world we live in today. A world that desperately, desperately is looking for hope. Desperately, desperately looking for a change. A purpose. And God has given to us, as he gave to John, he's given to us a gospel. And it is the gospel and only the gospel that changes lives. It is only Jesus that can change a heart and bring about salvation and the forgiveness of sins. Haven't we been given that same task as John to go before and pave the way for people to come to Jesus? And so we, like John, we need to reach out into our dark world that hasn't yet experienced the hope of a personal relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ who came down, who came down to redeem mankind from their sins. Nothing like this has ever happened before. There's only one Christmas and there'll never be another one. God has come down to visit his people in the person of Jesus Christ. And it is our mission to make sure that message is spread out into the world. Someone has said salvation is not a human invention. Salvation is not 
a human invention, but salvation is a divine visitation. God came down. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. We're going to close with this song. Hymn number 120. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. Would you stand with me? Hymn number 120. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Father, we thank you that you have loved us in such a way that you would come down. That, Father, you would take on flesh to dwell among us so that salvation might be brought to us. Father, I pray that we as your children now, that we might reach out into a lost and hopeless world that desperately needs Jesus. Help us not to be ashamed of the gospel, but help us to go with boldness and love. For, Father, Jesus is the hope of the world. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.